When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to episode number 88 of Unformidable. We take a look at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's quirky history. For to us, every player who dons the orange and blue is in some way unformidable. This was an easy one this week, requested by a couple of listeners, and I think falling at a good time as recording this. I'm recording this near the All-Star break, as the All-Star break is dawning. And while not the most unlikely Mets All-Star, I, I know in past years around the All-Star break, we've done Pat Zachary, I think Joel Youngblood. Hey, Ed Cranepool made an All-Star team once. I mean, when every team needs a rep and your team is often bad, you might have some random All-Stars in your team's history. But the one dog himself, Lance Johnson, made the All-Star team as a very deserving representative for the Mets in 1996, alongside his equally deserving, equally shockingly excellent that year outfield mate Bernard Gilkey. While he was only a Met for a year and a half, the speedy leadoff hitter set some team records that still stand. Uh, in, In his tenure at the Mets, he made some Major League Baseball history as well. A very memorable player to most who watched him play with his unusually heavy bat for for his small stature and his penchant for triples. 
I always resent a little bit at first when any met who's not Mookie wears number one, but but the one dog earned it, and let's look at his journey there. Kenneth Lance Johnson was born on July 6, 1963, in Cincinnati, Ohio. He was clearly a talented ball player. Uh, blessed with a lot of speed, Johnson was drafted three times in the Major League Baseball draft by the Pittsburgh Pirates in the 30th round of the 1981 draft out of high school. Uh, the following year, the Mariners tabbed him in the 31st round out of Triton College. Wondering if it might have been a junior college uh, or something like that since he was drafted again the subsequent year. And finally, and successfully, he was drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals in the sixth round of the 1984 MLB draft out of the University of South Alabama, he would sign with them. And if you remember those 80s Cardinals teams, Johnson seemed like the prime kind of player who would fit in with their ever-annoying franchise. Displaying the hit-for-contact tool and the speed that would be his hallmarks as a major league ball player, Lance Johnson steadily moved up through the Cardinals minor league system. At the age of 22 at AA, he hit 288 with 49 stolen bases, and he would improve upon that at age 23 in AAA with 42 steals, a 333 batting average, and he would put up 21 doubles, 11 triples, and 5 home runs. Numbers which, uh, as I saw them, I was like, oh, that sounds like a typical Lance Johnson season. And in fact, in looking at his numbers in baseball reference, his 162-game average season was 20 doubles, 13 triples, 4 home runs. So uh, I was not far off there uh, for once. One sad thing I learned in preparing this podcast, sad for Met fans, not legitimately sad, uh, is where Johnson's career began and ended, uh, facts that I kind of had forgotten and uh, are reflect upon unhappy times in Mets history, uh, despite the joy he gave us in a year and a half. Uh, Lance Johnson got called up and made his Major League debut in 1987, for the Cardinals, he would actually appear in only three games in July of 1987, making his Major League debut on July 10th against the San Francisco Giants. Uh, he basically was a pinch hitter, pinch runner in those games. He went 0 for 3 in that brief call-up. Uh, normally, I try to, whether it was for the Mets or another team, I always try to note a player's first career hit or first career home run. In Johnson's case, it somewhat seems apt and appropriate that while he did not get a hit in that brief time, he did record his first career stolen base, uh, that on July 16th, 1987, in the top of the 10th inning against the Padres. The first of what would be 327 career stolen bases that Johnson would record in the majors. The Cardinals would lose that game 9-8 to to fall to 58-31, uh, Johnson would get sent down and have to wait until late August to get recalled. And of course, that recall would thrust him into the middle of a pennant race between the Cardinals and the defending world champion Mets, uh, who struggled to start the year but started to uh, catch fire in the second half as most of the team started to get healthy. On August 23rd of 87, Johnson started in right field and recorded his first career major league hit a bloop double between center and second base, as is, was described in the gameplay. 
Again, I'm guessing his speed enabled him to hustle and turn that into a double. Uh, he'd eventually also record his first RBI in that same game on a single to the opposite field, scoring Willie McGee. Uh, his efforts would help the Cardinals win, move up to 73-50. and 50. Uh, As of August 23rd, they were four and a half up on the Mets, five up on the Expos. Johnson would play a lot of right field down the stretch for the Cardinals. I don't know if it was a platoon, a it's been so long ago, I don't remember. Uh, but he did not start the ill-fated September 11th, 1985 Terry Pendleton game. Uh, but he did appear in that game. He pinch hit for John Tudor to lead off the sixth inning, lining out to Keith Hernandez at first base. One batter before Vince Coleman would drag a bunt, uh, breaking up not Ron Darling's no-hit bid and on the play, causing the, the hot Ron Darling. Uh, he was really great down the stretch that year to break his thumb, tearing ligaments uh, in it and ending his season, although he would stay in the game and finish that, well, he'd stay in that and finish that inning. The game, I wish to say no more of. Uh, I think we've covered it more ad nauseum in another podcast, and it's one of the more painful losses in Mets history. They had a chance to cut the lead to a half a game, and it felt like they were surging and going to overtake the Cardinals, and... It just, uh, you know, petered out from there, and the repeat was not to be. Johnson would be on the Cardinals' playoff roster in 1987. Uh, I would appear briefly in only one game in the NLCS, where the Cardinals would be victorious over the Giants, and one game in the World Series, uh, where they would fall to the Minnesota Twins. Whether either the 80s Cardinals thought there was a thing as too much speed or the Cardinals just needed pitching. I don't know. But though he seemed a quintessential Cardinal type of player, uh, the Cardinals would trade Johnson and reliever Ricky Horton Horton in the offseason to the Chicago White Sox for pitcher Jose De Leon. Johnson would ultimately flourish on the south side. Uh, it took him a couple of years to you know get there. In 88 and 89, he was up and down between AAA and the majors. But in 1990, he'd establish himself as the White Sox everyday center fielder, and it was a role he'd flourish in for six straight seasons, playing virtually every day and hitting and running uh, virtually every day. In 1990, he'd steal 36 bases but get caught 22 times. Uh, His rate of success would improve with experience. Uh, and in 1990, he'd also hit nine triples. This would be Johnson's last single, where he'd record only single-digit triples until 1997. In fact, he would lead the league in triples each season from 91 to 94, being the first to player to lead the league in triples for consecutive seasons in Major League Baseball history. 1993 marked Johnson's first 300 season. Uh, I think he hit 311 that year. Uh, 311, yes, uh, and also his second foray into the postseason. Uh, the White Sox also had the venerable Tim Raines on that roster. Raines would bat leadoff consistently, and the White Sox would employ Johnson in the bottom of the order, uh, sometimes batting seventh, often batting ninth. Uh, and while they didn't, they certainly didn't invent the whole two leadoff hitters concept, where you'd put a speed guy batting ninth to kind of wrap around the order. Uh, it was one of the more effective examples of it that I can think of in my memory at any rate. 
But on that playoff team, Johnson's 6.1 war, uh, B-war, according to baseball reference, was actually second on the team that year to the league MVP, Frank Thomas. Especially impressive given that he had a lack of traditional power. Johnson actually hit no home runs in 93, uh, though again, he had uh, 14 triples, 18 doubles, uh, you know, and a, just a 750 OPS. He actually didn't walk or strike out a lot but got on base a lot, ran the base as well, and was in his prime an excellent defensive center fielder. And to top that season off, uh, Johnson had a very strong league championship series, including, though, no homers in the regular season, a home run, and six RBIs. Uh, in Game 4 of the series, he almost single-handedly helped the Sox tie the series up. Uh, his two-run homer in, I think, the third inning started the scoring, and then he had a two-run triple in the sixth inning to break a 3-3 tie. Uh, the White Sox would win the game and not the series at two, uh, but ultimately the defending champion Toronto Blue Jays were too much for them, and Johnson would not get back to the World Series. Johnson and the White Sox were very good again in 1994, before the strike ended what would look like another likely playoff season. In 95, the team was more disappointing, sinking back below 500 as the Indians rose to dominate the division. Uh, but Johnson had another strong le- year, leading the American League in at-bats with 607 and in hits with 186. Uh, his reward for this was that the White Sox declined to exercise his option and did not offer him salary arbitration, rendering Lance Johnson a free agent after the 1985 season. Uh, The New York Mets were looking to improve, uh, finally break out of their early 90s doldrums, and the team pounced, signing Johnson to a two-year contract, I believe worth uh, just shy of $6 million, if memory serves. I couldn't find the salary quote in an article, but I did find a a UPI press release about the Mets signing, uh, where the UPI... Uh, announced that Johnson would join, quote, an already crowded Mets outfield that includes Ryan Thompson, Carl Everett, Alex Ochoa, Damon Buford, and minor league phenom Jay Payton. Uh, I don't think the UPI really understood what crowded meant. But as you can tell by those names, uh, one of whom was a recent podcast subject in Alex Ochoa, and many others of whom reasonably could be, Uh, subjects of this podcast, Johnson would not uh, necessarily have to fight for playing time, and in fact would quickly establish himself as the Mets' leadoff hitter, center fielder, and continue being an everyday player. I mean, the Mets and player acquisitions, whether, you know, veteran, big name, you know, I guess you could argue Lance Johnson wasn't a big name, but he was a pretty established player. Uh, At any rate, the Mets and Free agent signings, acquisitions, let's say it can be a checkered history at times, but Lance Johnson was electric for the Mets from the get-go. On opening day, April 1st, 1996, he'd go 1-4 for against his former team, the Cardinals, with an RBI in the Mets' 7-6 opening day victory. In Game 2 of the season, he'd go 2-for-4 with a double and a run scored. And while the team themselves would struggle, uh, you know, poor pitching would doom them, uh, doom them and doom Dallas Green and his managerial career 
blissfully by the end of the year, bringing about the Bobby Valentine era. There were some bright spots. That 96 team I found uh, somewhat fun to watch, and really Johnson, uh, along with Gilkey, Bernard Gilkey and Todd Hunley, were the main reasons for that. Johnson would cool off a little bit during the middle of April, uh, his average was as low as uh, two, well, 214 after like five or six games. Uh, but April 20th, it was as low as 260. And it would never again get that low. He'd On April 22nd, he'd go three for five with two runs scored against the Reds. Uh, the following day, he'd put up another three for five, this time with two triples. Uh, all of a sudden, he was hitting above 300. Uh, and while he'd waver from in the 280s to 300 into early May. Uh, around May 6th, he'd poke above 300 and stay there for the season. So it tends to go when you record 227 hits in a single Major League season. At the All-Star break, Johnson was hitting 322 uh, with a 345 on-base percentage and a 473 slugging percentage, uh, earning the nod as the starting center fielder in the All-Star game, which was really Johnson's only career All-Star appearance. And Johnson would not stop hitting in the All-Star game. Uh, He would lead off the bottom of the first with a double the other way against Charles Nagy, coming around to score the first run of the game on a Barry Bonds RBI groundout, ultimately going 3-for-4 with a stolen base in the 96 All-Star game. Johnson, Gilkey, and Hunley were all All All-Stars that year, And obviously this pod is about Lance, but I I do still find it pretty amazing that that year the Mets' uh, top three players, uh, Gilkey recorded 8.1 war, according to baseball reference, Uh, Lance Johnson a career best for him, 7.2 war, and Todd Hunley 5.0. That's a pretty stunning top three, uh, you know, center field catcher uh, and left field um, I haven't looked, but that's got to be one of the highest top three war stats for a Met season, I would guess. Um, I mean, it would have to be up there, uh, certainly for teams with a losing record at any rate. And if you thought, you know, maybe we caught lightning in a bottle or Johnson was going to slow down in the second half of the season, well, he only got better in the second half. He hit 346 from the All-Star break on, uh, improved his eye a little bit, his on-base percentage for the second half was 382, and his slugging percentage was 487. And while the team itself was not in the pennant race, Johnson had some incredibly memorable games. On August 7th of 1996, the Mets beat the Cubs 11-7. Johnson went 4-for-5 with two home runs and a double. I don't know if Lance Johnson had any other multi-home run games in the majors, but, um, I mean, he only hit 34 of them in his career, so uh, two in a game is somewhat notable, and... I don't know, perhaps the wind was blowing out in Wrigley that day. If Johnson saved one of those homers for September 1st of 1996, uh, he might have been on another illustrious Met list. Uh, Johnson went 3-for-5 with a single, a double, a triple against the San Francisco Giants that day, uh, coming a a home run short of the cycle. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And finally, on September 14th of 1996, again at Shea, Johnson got. The uh, lone, well, of course, it's a, the the lone walk-off hit of his Mets career. Uh, it's to give the Mets a 6-5 victory over the Atlanta Braves in the 12th inning of a 5-5 game. Uh, after Matt Franco walked, uh, advanced to second on a fielder's choice, uh, Johnson hit a single up the middle to plate Franco with the winning run off of the Braves' Joe Borowski, uh, giving the Mets the walk-off win. Johnson was 2-for-7 in that 12-inning game, uh, leaving him with an average of 331, and he would hit pretty consistently through the end of the year, uh, finishing his season with a 333 batting average in 1996. So good, it probably bears reading the whole thing. Johnson had appeared in 160 games for the Mets in 1996 at the age of 32, uh, had 724 plate appearances, uh, leading the league, uh, 682 at-bats, leading the majors, 227 hits, leading the majors, 31 doubles. Uh, He had never even hit 20 in a season before, after 18 was his previous career high. 21 triples, uh, the fifth time in six years he would lead his league in triples. Uh, Nine home runs, he had hit 10 home runs in 1995, which is the only other time he topped that. 69 RBIs, 50 stolen bases, and 62 attempts. Uh, 33 walks, 40 strikeouts, 333, 362, 479, slash line, 841 OPS, 125 OPS plus. Uh, just an incredible year. As I said, the 682 at-bats led the, le- led the league, and it was a team record uh, that would hold until Jose Reyes would break it. Uh, at the time, the 117 runs scored was a team record. Uh, Edgardo Alfonso would top that eventually. Um, and actually, the most total bases uh, in franchise history at the time with 327, uh, which would be eventually broken by David Wright. Um, his club, his uh, those numbers for triples, 21 in a season, and hits, 227, are records that still stand in the Mets franchise record books. And at the time, only Cleon Jones's 340 batting average uh, would top Johnson's 333, uh, that 340 in uh, 69, of course. As I said, some of that history was somewhat, it was Major League history as well, in that uh, Johnson uh, at the time became the first player, uh, oh, pardon me, the third player in history to lead both leagues and triples, uh, Sam Crawford and Brett Butler were the other two players who did so, uh, became one of three major leaguers to lead both leagues and at-bats two consecutive years, Joe Carter and Steve Sachs had also turned the trick. 
and by leading the American League in hits in 1995 and the National League in hits in 1996, Johnson became the only player in history to lead both leagues in hits, doing so in back-to-back seasons. That was a lot of a lot of info, but that was a lot of season Johnson put up in 1996. Really one of the best and most memorable seasons in Mets history, but of course it didn't end his Mets tenure. Uh, he was back on the Mets in 1997, and unlike 96, the Mets found themselves on the fringes of a pennant race uh, for the first time in ages. Uh, Johnson's numbers were less flashy that year. Um, on the one hand, you could see the signs of his aging, uh, a lot less power, and a lot fewer steals, but he was still slapping the ball around, hitting 307, and perhaps compensating a little by having what would have been at that a career high 385 on base percentage. Um, so still a productive leadoff hitter. However, um, other developments maybe you know forced the pre- forced the end of the Lance Johnson era at at Shea with the Mets uh, quicker than I expected they would. Uh, Carl Everett was having a breakout season in 1997. Uh, Gilkey, Butch Husky were still out in the outfield as well. Uh, kind of hard to find places to play them all. Um, and so at the time, what felt like a bit of a controversial move, at least to this personal observer, uh, the team moved on from Johnson in an effort to bolster what was a very shaky bullpen uh, on an otherwise fairly successful 1997 team. Uh, so Johnson went to the Cubs uh, in a package that, uh, with other players that brought back Brian McRae, Mel Rojas, and Turk Wendell. Now, the trade did not move the needle on the 97 team at all. Uh, that was really a fun team to watch, too. Uh, maybe it was just sitting through 92, 93, 94 that made 96 and especially 97 so enjoyable. But the Braves were still the Braves, and the Marlins had, you know, gone all in for one random year of massive spending. Uh, so the 97 team could not quite catch those two teams in the East. Uh, and the one wild card that existed. Um, as far as that trade, though, um, boy, did McRae and Rojas provide some horrible memories uh, in my mind. Uh, Wendell, of course, uh, while not helping as much in 97, would become a mainstay of the Bobby V. Penn, uh, beloved for his rubber arm and his quirky number 99-wearing personality. At the time, I was not happy with the trade. I mean, Johnson had been so good, uh, in 96, it felt like we were giving up on him too quickly. Um, but, you know, perhaps the Mets actually saw something. Hard to think of them as being perceptive, especially back then. But uh, Johnson would quickly kind of fall into being a part-time player uh, as he moved to the Cubs. Um, and 96 would, in fact, uh, uh, the best season of his career, but in a, in a sense turn into a bit of a, you know, final great act uh, in a pretty impressive Major League Baseball career. He did get one more uh, playoff appearance in his career uh, as the 1998, while he was still a backup on the Cubs, the team would make it to the playoffs and he would uh, go two for 12 in the team's uh, three-game sweep at the hand of the Braves in the 1998 NLDS. Johnson would also spend 99 with the Cubs and would get released by the Cubs at the conclusion of the 99 season. He'd uh, latch on with the Indians in the 2000 offseason, 
uh, but would get released at the end of spring training and would actually get signed as a free agent by the Yankees. Uh, he would open the season with the 2000 Yankees. Uh, he would only appear in 18 games and get 30 plate appearances, but as promised at the beginning of this podcast, his playing career both began and ended uh, for teams that, well, in games that had negative ramifications for Met playoff uh, appearances or near playoff appearances, pennant race in 87 and in 2000, though he did not play with the team after June, Johnson was awarded a 2000 World Series ring by the Yankees for his service to the club. Um, and as I believe the Yankees must have won the World Series that year, I recall nothing of it whatsoever. Johnson spent 2001 in AAA in the Rockies organization and played in the independent leagues for a couple of years before finally and completely hanging it up. Uh, but no major league action after June of 2000, and officially retired a bit thereafter. Johnson is currently 59 years old and lives in Alabama with his wife. For his career, Johnson put up a very impressive 30.2 war, according to baseball reference. Uh, He was a career 291 hitter, uh, with a 334 on base percentage, 386 slugging for a 720 OPS and a 95 OPS plus. Of his 1,565 hits, he had 175 doubles, 117 triples, 34 home runs. Uh, he had 486 career RBIs, stole 327 bases, and was caught stealing 105 times. He's both a solid offensive player and a stellar defensive player uh, contributing to those. Uh, his, his war, according to baseball references, for offensive war, he had a 22.7 um, number for his career. Defensive war, uh, 10.5 uh, over his career. And from 1990 to 1996, uh, he was... Uh, Pretty much good for 2.6 or better war, punctuated by those great 1993 uh, season with the White Sox and that incredible 1996 season with the Mets. How many players have their best season with the Mets? Unusual. In addition to his stellar range defensively, Johnson also had 70 career assists. I believe he had nine of those in uh, 1996, which... uh, I'm double-checking and reading that, was third in the league that year. Some of the similar batters to Johnson, uh, according to Baseball References, similarity scores include, uh, for New York baseball fans, Mickey Rivers at number four and Mookie Wilson at number ten. Also, Luis Polonia at number two, which really surprised me. An impressive ball player who truly recorded one of the most memorable seasons in Mets history, and certainly perhaps the most unexpected memorable season in Mets history, unless you want to claim that's that's his outfield mate Bernard Gilkey uh, by his side doing so in the same season. But for all this and more, Lance Johnson was truly unformidable. Thanks for taking the time to listen to Unformidable. Please follow Mason Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of your social medias. You can subscribe to this and all of our amazing pods wherever you get your podcasts. Original music by Bunga. 
I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, W-O-L-F-F-R-R, and the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and as always, let's go Mets.